Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is a special bonus episode where we are recapping our favorite films of 2022. I'm Christopher Schneezy. I'm, I'm Stephen Miller. <laughs> And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a streaming platform near you, or a theater near you. But in this case, as I just mentioned, this is our, you know, like, 12th annual, um, I don't know what the actual, I think, I think looking at the server where I was just going to check the file name for this episode, I think we have 12 year-end recaps. I think we went all the way back to 2010, um... Which, I feel like we recorded earlier than that. Like we did up in the air, right? Yeah, maybe maybe it's just a matter of uh, I think there are some lost some lost episodes. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So there might be some lost episodes. But when we started officially naming them properly and getting them set up um in like the rebooted era of the podcast, we're like over twelve years um yeah. doing this year end thing, which is our big our big chance to come together and kind of just talk about all the things that we caught in the previous year um sometimes that number is astronomical sometimes that number dwindles quite a bit um but uh yeah how are you feeling steven i'm i'm feeling pretty good uh i'm not gonna lie when i was traveling through november and by the end of november i was starting to feel a little worried about making a list not because like i hadn't seen 10 great movies but i just felt like as you acknowledged i hadn't seen nearly enough movies to give a actual summary of the year um it, it was just like this was the year that we didn't f attend any festivals really like we watched a few awards movies at sundance but we didn't do like the full thing tiff yeah. wasn't available to us this year um between travel and people having covid th there, there were just a lot of things <laughs> that um <laughs> made me not catch as many things especially because i also this year watched like 180 movies from the 70s and 60s so <laughs> in my spare time this year more than any other time i was really like not keeping up with the newest releases but yeah. in the month of december i did a huge ramp up tried to catch pretty much anything i thought i could possibly love enough to make a list and now i feel i feel complete i feel I feel ready to talk about the year in film, even though <laughs> if I'm going to be honest with you, only like one or two movies that I watched in that mad dash actually made my list. But still, I feel better about it. Yeah. How yeah. do you feel? Yeah. I mean, I think this was kind of a, you know, this is like a weird year. It was kind of like, it, it was the first year that things were normal again, but the release calendar wasn't necessarily normal. It felt like there mm -hmm. were less things that came out. As you mentioned, we had some, you know, illnesses and some yep. work travel that sort of hit the podcast. And, you know, you know, I, I kind of fell off of keeping up with the list of what I had been watching. And when I sat down to start working on the list, the first thing I did was just, you know, go to the spoilerwarning.com, go to everything that we've reviewed and just list those. And I was like, oh, yep. we we only did like 30, <laughs> 30 we episodes. We did way fewer episodes than, than most yeah. years, I think. Because I mean, I mean, you know, in any given year, uh, we should have at least 52 episodes um, mm -hmm. plus the end of year recap episode. Um, and this year it was just so so small that i was like did i even watch movies this year it kind of felt strange i mean even even you know most years there's a bunch of things we're looking forward we know exactly when stuff's coming out because we're anticipating it and we're like oh yeah this is going to come out on this time i feel like this year was kind of a uh you know like one of us would text the other person like saturday afternoon and be like uh 
were we reviewing yeah. something this week? You up? <laughs> yeah, it was essentially that. It was the podcasting version of you up. And I think that I kind of just, you know, th this year has been sort of a blur. When we got towards the end of the year, I, I think for me, usually if you're out on work travel, um, I kind of just keep it up and just keep get, keep doing all the stuff I did. And I feel like this time it was like, if we weren't going to record a review, I didn't even bother going to see a movie. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I was burnt out a little bit or what was going on, but I just kind of, I was kind of like, you know, we'll just see, we'll keep it easy, see how it goes and just see what I'm in the mood for. And, and, you know, I'm excited for this upcoming year, not, not for anything specific, but just, I'm excited to get back into the routine of going every weekend, having an idea of what's coming out, actually paying attention to the release calendar. And I think too, for me, I, I know some people out there like to live the unsullied life, don't watch trailers. For me, trailers was a huge thing. Like I always <laughs> used to, you know, like every day, if I needed a little, like needed some wake up time in the afternoon, I would just hit the Apple trailer page and just see if there were any new trailers posted and just watch all of them. And then be like, all right, cool, I'm, I'm, I'm rejuvenated. And then I have an idea what's coming out. There were things this year that I had only seen the trailer like the day before we went and saw it because I was like, oh yeah, we're going to review it. What the hell am I about to watch? Um, so, you know, may maybe this year I can get back into it and kind of be, be ready um, and, you know, get, get back into the old, old, old days. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's funny because I, I was never intentionally a trailer person, but by virtue of going to the movie theater all the time, I was exposed to trailers of most things that were coming out. Um, and now that that has, it isn't like that has disappeared. Like I still go to Alamo frequently, but the the breadth of trailers isn't that wide. Like Alamo tends to advertise the same things over and over again. Yeah. Um, which means usually I know a movie is coming out because a film podcast or film Twitter or something is talking about it. And I've found the problem with that is it will like, it will tee up expectations in a way that makes even a good movie often disappoint me because I've like already heard the discourse about the movie before it even came out. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of the movies on this list are movies that I went into knowing almost nothing. Um, and, and there's something about that that I really enjoy. So I think a trailer is better than knowing nothing, but I think knowing nothing is a hell of a lot better than knowing what the critical consensus is already, because that definitely has a way of kind of, I don't know, making movie experiences like too imperfect and also just not feel like your own. That, that's something yeah. I really felt this year. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of why I didn't do the ramp up and try to catch anything. I was like, no, this is what I saw. This is this is my year. My list is going to yep. reflect that. There are so many things I did not see. And that's just that's just the, the reality that I have to live now. And I'm never going to fix that. <laughs> Yeah. I, to be fair, my ramp up also included three weeks of isolation <laughs> having COVID. <laughs> so it wasn't only to be a good podcast host. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it yeah, was yeah. also to feel like I was being productive while I sat on my ass and did absolutely nothing. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, speaking of sitting on our asses and doing absolutely nothing, um, <laughs> every year we do this. Uh, one of the things that I'm a little bit of a stickler for is just defining what our list means to us. Um, you know, at the top of the episode, I said, this is our favorite year, uh, episodes or our favorite films of 2022. Um, but what went into making your list even without giving anything away yet? Um, and kind of what do you consider this? Like, how is this list top to you? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think when we get to the end of this list and look back, 
mine will look closer to a critical consensus list than it usually does in a given year. But my feeling when making the list was this was my personal, personal favorite. Like every movie in this list is a movie that when it was over, I personally felt some kind of glow inside. I felt some kind of, oh, this is a movie I want to feel again. <laughs> um, and I don't know if this means critical consensus is just becoming more me-like <laughs> this year or or what. But um, it felt incredibly personal. And I think this was kind of the year that very personal movies were widely beloved in a way that they aren't always. Um, yeah. So anyway, when I, when I was making this list, honestly, for the top 10, except for the number 10 slot, which I always like to use to kind of highlight a movie that no one else is talking about, which I still love, but, you know, doesn't necessarily mean in a flat ranking of the top 30 movies, it would be number 10 out of 30, right? Uh, it just means I yeah, want to yeah. talk about it. Other than that, I didn't really overthink this at all. I just tried to list the movies that my heart really wanted to have on a list and then kind of switched around the order a little bit until it felt like something true in terms of how I would organize it. But I, I did less science than pretty much any other li list making. I just kind of wrote them all down and went for it. Yeah. The real, the real question though, for longtime listeners is, is your list only 10 films? <laughs> This time it is, yeah. I okay. feel like I've been good all through the pandemic. I feel like I've been good at not flexing that. Obviously, <laughs> I'm preparing to write a list of probably like 20 movies and find a way to bend the rules again. But honest, honestly, knowing I'm going to do a longer written list is what made me feel okay narrowing this down to 10 and not overthinking what got in and what wouldn't. Because it's like yeah. plenty of things will get a, get a chance in the sun. Uh, one rule I imposed on myself is no documentaries this year because there were at least three documentaries I watched that I thought were really, really great. But it just doesn't... It feels like apples and oranges to compare to narrative film. And honestly, it helped me narrow it down. So no documentaries, otherwise no rules. Anything that I loved was allowed in. Yeah. Um, I mean, once again, for longtime listeners of the show, they know that for me, one Christopher Schneezy, um, you know, every year there's one film that I walk out of where I'm like, it doesn't matter how early in the year I see it. I'm like, there's a good chance that this is probably my number one film of the year. And yep. it, it's sort of that that's really easy for me to know. Right. Like when I sit down to make the list, I write that at the top. I sometimes throw something right there at number 10 for arbitrary reasons. And then I have to figure out the list in between. For me, you know, in the early days of the podcast, you know, the list, it started as the top five because that for me was easy. I can always shove things in the top five. Um, you know, Steven just pushed me <laughs> to do a top mm -hmm. 10 at some point and that's what we stuck yeah. with forever um, i think that was like 2016 <laughs> maybe we pushed it to a 10 maybe i don't know but it, but it, but it was just one of those things where for me a, a a list of 10 is is a little more difficult not because there's so much that i absolutely love because there's not usually so much that there's i absolutely love there are plenty of things that i liked like if you go to my my letterbox uh you know, there are probably like 20 something films from last year that like I hearted, right? Which is my equivalent of like, yeah, I like that. It was pretty good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but there's never really, there's never really a full 10 that is completely in, in contention for like what I would make a personal list. And, you know, then it becomes this weird dance of trying to fit things in and out. And it's like, well, th then I just get mad at myself for like, oh, but how do I even put this in if I'm not going to put that in? So I just, you know, this year I was like, you know what? 
I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with my gut. <laughs> and we're gonna call it a day. And I so, thought yeah. you were gonna say you limited it to five. <laughs> I'm just gonna How be talking be? alone for the first half of the episode. <laughs> just each each step, I just do the same film twice. So like, mm. this is ten and nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're doing the, the James Cameron equivalent of getting 24 <laughs> FPS in a 48 <laughs> FPS movie. Exactly. And hopefully th this time it doesn't make you nauseous. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. I, it's funny because I said I didn't have a science, but I did make an enormous spreadsheet and had checkboxes of whether it might be included <laughs> in the podcast and might be included in the write-up and random weightings I applied. I'm also realizing listening to you and when I've heard anyone else talk about Letterboxd, I don't think I use the like function correctly, like the heart function when I'm reviewing a movie. For me, the heart is like, and it accentuates the star rating. So like I might give something three and a half <laughs> stars like and a heart. <laughs> and it means like it's three and a half stars, but like in like a way where like you should for sure watch it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whereas sometimes I'll have like a four star movie or four and a half that I don't do a heart because it's like, yeah, this is just like a total four star movie. But occasionally the heart is like, it's this good and I love it. Yeah, I use it. Uh, I use it differently and I can't explain how at all. And gotcha. sometimes I use it to be like, I like the movie, but I don't want to rate it. <laughs> so I'm just going to put a heart on it. Gotcha. Like, oh, yeah, you know, this 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 is good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or like a classic, right? Like, I think I hearted like 2001 A Space Odyssey because it's like, I'm not going to fucking give a star rating to like one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. <laughs> like, who am I to give a rating to that? I'm just like, yeah, I like it too. Well, I, I can't speak to whether or not you're using it correctly, but I will say you and I use it exactly opposite. I specifically uh -huh. use the hearts because I refuse to do a star rating just because I'm like, how can I possibly rate anything? Um, mm -hmm. But... Whatever. We're not here yeah. to talk about our star ratings or our hearts on Letterboxd. We are ta here to talk about our top uh, films of 2022. Are you ready to get into this, Stephen? Uh, no, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, here we are, starting off with our number 10s. What do you have, Stephen? All right. So as I alluded to before for number 10, I always like to reserve that slot for kind of the, the scrappy up and comer. Like if I were making a top 20, there are probably nine more polished, like, quote, complete works of art that I might want to include in front of them. But it doesn't matter. These are the movies that like you kind of want to champion, you want to bring to life, especially in this case, it's a movie that is just brimming with ideas. It was like so daring. It was willing to poke you in the eye. It, it, it's just a movie that I wanted to cheer for because it had that kind of rambunctious spirit. Uh, and this year, that movie is Emergency, uh, which was a film we watched at Sundance, uh, directed by Carrie Williams. Um, I think we spoke in our mini review over Sundance that it was kind of like Sundance, uh, super bad means blind spotting, maybe yeah. meets some kind of like Coen Brothers saga, uh, which I know doesn't make any sense unless you watch it. Um, it's the story of two best friends who are getting ready to graduate from college and they want to complete a kind of like party triathlon before they go, like hit all the big parties in one night. And then they come home to find a stranger is passed out in their living room and that turns their night around a bit. Uh, like on paper, that sounds like it'd be some like, ooh, crazy college hijinks movie. And if like <laughs> Miles Teller were in the starring role or whatever, it probably would be like we've all seen that that movie before. But in this case, the two friends, uh, played by R.J. Kyler and Donald Elise Watkins, uh, they're both black men. And the passed out stranger, played by Maddie Nichols, is an underage white girl. And 
that means the whole rest of the movie swerves between this kind of intense action movie and irreverent satire and then like a really moving film about how, you know, non-white people experience these events differently, how like they might be looked at differently, even if they're trying to just do the right thing by a person, how how it can make the night be terrifying, you know, depending on who is watching them. And I think this movie, the way it swerves between being just really funny and really genuine and energetic and intense and scary it 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 moves between genres so fluidly and it has this kind of like irreverent playful spirit that even though i don't think it is a perfect perfectly polished film you know it it feels a little bit like a festival movie but when it ended i was just like hot damn that movie knew exactly what it wanted to do and it was not holding back at all. And I just, uh, I had a really, really, really good time with it for that reason. Yeah, it, it is a good pick. It's uh, it's a film that I really, really enjoyed coming out of that festival. And I think that, you know, as you said, it does feel like a festival film. It's It's got a little bit of that sort of like low budge feel to it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and also most of the people in the film for me were relative unknowns. Um, so it kind of, it, it, it lacked a little bit of that star power, but it it's... What it was doing was super, super interesting. It was a very compelling film. And uh, it's available right now for rental on various platforms and stuff like that. So people should def definitely check it out. Cool. Uh, so moving on to uh, my number 10. Um, coincidentally, I not picked this film, but I did also go with the Sundance film. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, I think uh, I know the one. <laughs> <laughs> How could you guess, Stephen? Um, you know, there, there was probably one film at that festival that I was really, really excited to check out. And that uh, was, of course, the film Cha-Cha Real Smooth um, by Cooper Reif. And, uh, you know, I think we were both uh, big fans of Shithouse and we were excited to see what he was going to turn out next. And I think that, you know, he his films are, you know, very, very interesting. They, you know, they hit home a little bit uh, <laughs> for myself. Um, and I think that they're really, really entertaining to watch. And I'm just excited to see whatever he's going to do next. Um, this film was a very, very solid, um, you know, about uh, a young a young man who's trying to figure out what his plans are in life and takes a job of uh, being, I, I guess, a DJ for bar mitzvahs. Um, and mm -hmm. a, uh while doing that, he encounters a young woman who has a daughter and sort of the way he sort of interacts with that family and sort of um, embeds himself in their life as he's trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. Um, it was just a story that I was really, really compelled by and, and loved watching. I think that I heard a lot of chatter around uh, the internet following uh, the high that I had from that film about like the fact that his character was maybe not so good a dude and like people like you know, throw around the word problematic a little bit and like worrying about that guy. And I think that yes, but the character also realizes that by the end of the film. And I think the film is dealing with all the things that are wrong with that character. So I think that while some people had a big problem with it, I kind of didn't have that issue, you know, say what you will yeah. about, about <laughs> that reaction to it. But it was a, it was a really fun uh, film and it was something that I wanted to have on my list somewhere because it was just one of those experiences this year where I was excited for it. I saw it. I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, it, that's why it uh, made my number 10 slot. Yeah, I, I think it's a great pick. It's funny. It's one of those movies that I really loved it when I watched it. Like I, I felt so much love for it. And I don't know why my like hindsight 
feeling just wasn't quite as strong. Like it didn't quite make my top 10 list. I don't know if it just didn't have the staying power or if I like absorbed the fact that the internet wasn't as in love with it and somehow let that pollute my opinion of it. I don't like, I found it charming. And like what I think I said this in our review and I would say it now is like in the best possible way, I feel like he is doing the Zach Braff thing, but he's doing it in a way that like 100% speaks to me and my experience of being the ages that he is now. Yeah. Um, and I think he's wonderful. Like, like I think it's a really lovely movie. I think Dakota Johnson is great in this movie. It has a bunch of really good, like, tear-jerking moments, especially toward the end. He has, like, a... He has a self-awareness that I do think fends off that criticism of the guy not being a good dude. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it is a lovely, small movie, and I'm excited to see what he does next. Cool. Um, so those were our number 10 films. Steven, why don't you take us on into number nine? All right. Um, of all the things on my list, uh, this next one is the one we most recently reviewed on the podcast. In fact, we reviewed it while I, on mic, was actively coming down with COVID. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that is Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All. Um, some movies I can like intellectualize why I love them, and some I just feel. Bones and All was a movie that I felt just from beginning to end what I felt was like a love for it. It felt messy and earnest and beautiful. Like we talked in our review about the themes of the movie, like youthful alienation. Uh, that is very much my jam. It's going to appear again multiple times on this list, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> there's like an empathy inherent to it, like the aching feeling of being told to forgive someone who is imperfect, who doesn't think they can forgive themselves. Um, it has these real world parallels that I thought were really meaningful without being cut and dry metaphors. I thought it lived in this kind of beautiful artistic space where it is like hinting at real world pain without being like a straightforward analogy. But honestly, none of that stuff is what I fell in love with. What I fell in love with was the vibe of this movie. It just has a texture, a lushness to it that I adored from the moment it opened. And I was just swept up in it the whole time. Uh, Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet, I feel like they could whisper conversations with the camera lingering in close up on them for two hours. And I would adore it if if Luca is the one putting it together. Um, <laughs> everything just feels like intimate, even the disgusting things and maybe especially the disgusting things. It's just like love and sex and self-hatred and actualization and all this stuff thrown in a blender to be a like, I thought, lovely road trip movie that is also a cannibal love story um <laughs> it's my um american honey of the year and i i just really fell for this movie it just hit hit my heart in the right place yeah um you know th there are definitely parts of that film that i enjoyed um the world building and you know all that kind of stuff i there there's a lot of interesting things happening in bones and all and i don't know whether it's something i would generally recommend to everybody but i think there is a lot to talk about having seen it and being able to talk with other people who have seen it um but it was definitely a little bit that messiness that you're talking about doesn't relate to blood <laughs> right. or gore it relates to some thematic stuff which i had a hard time swallowing um <laughs> if i can continue the cannibal metaphor yeah, keep going <laughs> uh but yeah so won't take it away from anybody who enjoys it. Uh, if, if you really want to hear my negative thoughts on it, you can check out that episode. 
<laughs> yeah, all all I'll say is I feel like this one has not gotten within spitting distance of a critics list this year, and I'm surprised because I think it is like almost as beautifully rendered as Call Me By Your Name, and I don't really know why it isn't being given quite the same love, especially because I think it has more of a an edgy, interesting wrinkle to it that I would think the community would really go for. So I don't know. I don't know why this isn't landing for a bunch of people, but I felt super, super moved by it. Gotcha. Um, well, I'm going to go from the, uh, the the super, super moved sort of mentality to a more uh, uh, more fun, fun uh, uh, feeling having exited this film. You know, there are lots of films that we are, you know, there are, there are films that come out that I am excited to see. And then there are other films that come out that I'm excited to make you see, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't quite defined for myself whether I actually enjoy the genre at all or just enjoy putting you through the genre um, when I can convince you to actually do it. Um, so for me, my number nine film is a little film called Barbarian, mm-hmm. uh, which I was excited just based off the trailer to make Steven watch a film about uh, a woman showing up to an Airbnb which is currently occupied and having to deal with, you know, whatever kind of tensions can arise uh, from that uh, scenario. And I was so excited to make Steven watch this film, having no idea what the film actually was. (laughs) And I think what it was, was amazing. And I had an amazing time with it. And, you know, I don't know if watching it again would give me that same sort of reaction, but in the moment, I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. And, I was so excited. Like, it was hard for me to not text you knowing that, like, really shortly after I was leaving the theater, you were going to go see the film. And I was like, man, I I can't even tease it because I want Steven to go in completely fresh and have a fun time. And, uh, yeah, Barbarian. I, You know, I didn't necessarily think it was going to make the list when I walked out of the theater. But the more I've thought about that film and, the like, thought about the fun that I had watching it, it it's got to be there. And I have to say, I had a ton of fun watching it, too. Uh, It is the rare straight, like, horror, horror movie that I just have a blast watching in theaters. And I think it is partly because it it doesn't do the jump scare, jump scare, jump scare thing. Like, it starts that way, but then it becomes kind of a, a roller coaster ride where we get to actually see the bad thing and just, like, enjoy all the shifting genres of the movie. Yeah. I had fun. I love when Justin Long shows up. Um, I laughed throughout this movie. I jumped in my seat. It, it, it was wonderful. <laughs> I had a great time watching it, too. So, you know, one out of ten times, I'm happy when you make me watch a horror movie. <laughs> Sweet. Um, well, those are our number nines. Now it's time, Stephen, to get into our number eights. What do you got? Uh, so you might be proud of me. Speaking of horror movies, um, <laughs> so all the movies on my list, I technically watched in 2022, but this one really cut it close. I watched it on New Year's Eve while Joanna was taking a nap. <laughs> um, and still count. the film, the film is called We're All Going to the World's Fair uh, by Jane Schoenbrunn. Um, it's being billed as a horror movie. Um, And I think there are good reasons for that that we can talk about. Um, I'm surprised I even took it a chance. Like the poster, 
I even gave it a chance. Uh, the poster looks super creepy. Uh, the clips I saw made it feel like one of those kind of like slasher. This is all going to take place in like a FaceTime screen type of movies. But it is not that at all. This movie is beautiful. Um, it's about a teenager named Casey who decides to take part in this sort of like slender manny internet dare called the World's Fair Challenge, where you chant something a few times, you prick your finger, and then you wait for bad things to happen to you. Um, I'm not going to say what is real and what isn't real in the movie as the horrific stuff progresses, except to say that it's really about like alienation, particularly being a teenager and feeling like you don't connect to the world around you. You don't really know who you are. You feel this like hole inside you. And because you can't name it, you try to fill it by broadcasting how different you are to the rest of the world, or you try to numb it by scrolling mindlessly for hours on end and how you can feel like a monster um, when you are in that position. Honestly, this joins like eighth grade and the fallout in the canon of movies that I feel like just perfectly capture how it must feel to be a young person right now, even though it is in a completely different genre yeah. and the kind that I would almost never, ever, ever want to take part in. Um, I just thought this was hauntingly beautiful movie. Uh, the soundtrack is by Alex G, who also made the song in Shithouse that made me cry. So clearly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, this movie has my number. And it is just like, it is a lonely, haunting, brooding movie anchored by just like a really, really wonderful performance in the lead. Um, it reminds me of a bunch of books by John Darnielli that I've read that I can recommend to anyone offline if they want. And I I loved this movie. I was honestly just like stunned when it ended. And I was like, uh, an indie horror movie is going in my top 10 list and it isn't even going to be number 10. <laughs> nice. Yeah, th th this is one that I definitely want to check out. I've seen it, a few clips from it and it definitely seemed like it was going to be something that was cool. Um, what what did you did you go see this somewhere or did you rent it on something? No, I, I just had it on my iPad, so I probably downloaded it on iTunes, but I'm not positive. Okay, it, it's definitely available on streaming. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, well, moving on to my number eight. Um, my number eight is also available um, for rental on iTunes and various uh, platforms. And that is a little film uh, that uh, we uh, did do a review semi-recently of, and that is the film Tar, um, about a, you know, conductor who, uh, you know, is the best in her field and uh, obsessed with control. And, you know, that obsession can potentially lead her to make decisions that are uh, not the best for the people around her. And it's sort of a story uh, dealing with that conflict between being a masterful artist and uh you know potentially being not the best sort of person um this is definitely one of those films that it's 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 one of the most gripping films that i've seen all year i didn't like everything you know we just finished talking about two horror related films and I, like, there are some elements in this film that sort of dip into the horror genre a tiny bit and i didn't care for that that much um so this film wasn't like a perfect thing on my on my list but you know since the time we've had it any discussion I've heard about it, discussions I've had myself, they always bring me back to the things that really drove me. And I think that that was one of the most fun I've had in the last several weeks doing a review with, with you, just, just kind of mm -hmm. going over the different parts of the film, um, especially in the spoiler section. Um, and, you know, it's just I have I have a good fond place um, on my list for it, I guess, and in my heart um, for yeah. <laughs> for the film Tar. 
Yeah, I mean, Tar is great. Kate uh, Blanchett deserves all the awards that are going to be given to her. Uh, it's the kind of movie that I feel like a second watch would probably reveal even more. I, I kind of considered watching it one more time before recording this episode, but I couldn't quite squeeze it in. But yeah, it is a it is a really, really, really good movie. Um, and I will probably talk about it more later. <laughs> cool. Um those were our number eights, and now we are moving on to our number seven. Steven, what do you have? Okay, this one won't be a surprise to you since you and I talked about it together already, but it definitely would have surprised the me from like January of this year if I'd seen the trailer. Uh, and that is The Menu, <laughs> directed by Mark Mylod. Uh, I say it would surprise me because it looks like a fun, pulpy kind of B-movie, you know, silly time at the theater, right, that is satiring, um, satirizing the high cuisine world, like the world of people who go to fancy tasting menus, very much a like eat the rich movie painting with broad strokes, at least in the trailer, looked like a rip roaring good time and probably one that wouldn't linger with me too long. Um, I think this movie is so goddamn good. <laughs> um, I think... <laughs> It is a damning satire. It is hilarious in that kind of B-movie thriller way. Uh, Ray Fine's performance, honestly, I think is one of the best performances of the year. He just like toes this perfect line, a like a kind of character that I feel like a Jesse Plemons would play or something, but he puts it with much more of a kind of like, he doesn't just seem like a weirdo. He seems like a very esteemed thoughtful person who is also batshit crazy and i think he does a great job of it um and i think what makes this movie really special is it threads the needle between making a really interesting heady point and having the intelligence to really cut deep and indulging in being a crowd-pleasing spectacle um i think the balance that strikes there is about as perfect as anything i've seen try to do both like not the heights of something like a parasite necessarily. This is not a movie with as lofty ambitions as a parasite, but I think it does a similar kind of balancing act. Um, discerning movie fans can definitely disagree. I know Carson was texting with me last week and he did not feel like this stuck the landing at all. To me, this does everything Triangle of Sadness wanted to do. It does it a thousand times better. Not only is it more of a crowd pleaser, more of a, you know, dumb American audience movie. Yeah. Um, I also think it is genuinely more clever, more biting, more specific, more inventive. I, I think it just hits every note so well. Um, it's a three-star tasting menu that also has a juicy burger in it. It is both <laughs> at the same time. And I had so much fun watching this movie in theaters. Yeah, uh, the menu is great. It's one of those films that, like, they were playing the trailers constantly at Alamo. It's one of the few things where it's like every single week it was coming. And from that first trailer, I was I was excited to see the film, but I was a little bit worried the film was giving too much away. Turns out that trailer is actually a pretty decent trailer and doesn't really give away uh, too much of what is really going on. Um, and I love the mysteries that um, were sort of saved from what we're sold in the trailer to getting down and actually sitting down to enjoy this meal of a film on its own. So good choice, Stephen. Thank you. Cool. And uh, now it is on to my number seven. And this is a film that will no doubt appear 
later on on this list. And Steven might be upset at me for having it so low. Um, I already know. <laughs> <laughs> but my number seven film is a little film called After Sun. Um, it is a film that, you know, we had a pretty, I think we had a pretty deep uh, spoiler filled conversation about this on the podcast. Um, this is a film that in the moment, in real time, I didn't care for. Um, I, I thought it was a little bit too meandering and kind of didn't, uh, it didn't give me what I wanted from what I thought the story was that I was watching. And as soon as it was over, I realized that all the characters I cared about were not the real characters of the story. And I kind of realized what the film was doing. I had a nice long drive home after afterwards with Jamie, where we just discussed the whole film. And the more that I talked about the film and thought about it, the more emotional I became and the more really sort of getting what it was the filmmaker was trying to do, I did. And this is a film that like retroactively really drew me in and makes me really appreciative, appreciative of what it was going for. Um, but, you know, in the moment, like if you see this film and you're like, oh, I didn't really like that. I don't fault you. Like, I get it. I was there. But I think that if you have somebody to talk with about the film and you kind of think about it again or maybe even rewatch it, I think it definitely uh, pays dividends on your emotional investment in the story that you're trying to watch. So After Sun is my number seven. Yeah, I agree with every piece of praise and I won't even try to pretend that I'm just going to give my response now because we are definitely going to talk about this movie later. Uh, but yeah, After Sun is great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. So those were our number sevens. Steven, why don't you take us on into number six? All right. My number six, I think we are entering the territory of the last one of these that you might have not watched. Um, but you might have watched because I believe I texted you about it. Um, and that movie uh, is Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths by Alejandro, uh, Alejandro Inarritu. <laughs> this is a movie that Everything I heard about this movie made me think I was going to fucking hate it. Um, <laughs> it came out at festivals. Critics were slamming it as like overly long, overly self-indulgent. They were comparing it to like the later Terrence Malick movies. People were talking about it being a slog. It was like the butt of jokes that critics would talk about. I don't know what they were smoking. Uh, I heard that maybe a slightly longer version premiered at festivals and then he trimmed it a little bit. But I thought this movie was totally brilliant. Um, this was a year when like a lot of filmmakers made movies about themselves, about making movies about their legacy. You know, Steven Spielberg did it. Sam Mendes did it. James Gray did it. Um, they would think about the power of movies. Sometimes they were about the identity crisis of a director. Sometimes they were just about how the director's style came to be, how they became who they became. And all of those things are like pretentious, right? Depending on how you define it, anything about its own director is going to be. But Inuritu is the only one I know who like recognizes that it might be pretentious and he wants to blow the genre up because of it. Um, this movie is just about so many things. It's about authenticity in art. It's about a director who is trying to highlight his own flaws for beauty. It's about a lost identity. Uh, Inuritu left Mexico years ago and started making movies in America. And now he's questioning, who is this for? You know, have I, have I abandoned my past? Am I somehow selling out because of that? Um, it looks like a million bucks. There are set pieces in this movie that I think are absolutely 
epic in scope um astonishing looking it it looks like a fellini movie it has like amazing music throughout it has long takes which have become its kind of signature it's funny it's sad it is astonishing uh, for my money this is less indulgent than a movie like the fablemans and it wields it to a way better end this one isn't saying like look at my style and how important it is to a generation he's saying like none of us are important let's dance like <laughs> Let's just unpack it. And I, I loved this movie, and I could not believe how, how little attention I feel like it is getting when I think it is just incredibly inventive. So that is, I will only call it Bardo because the name is pretentious. I'll give it that. <laughs> Bardo, yeah, Bardo by Alejandro Iñárritu. <laughs> yeah, Bardo's one that I do want to check out. As I mentioned at the top, I sort of set, I set a line in the sand and said like, I'm done with films for the rest of the year. Um, I can't really uh, commit to watching more, um, but it's one that I'm going to try to visit um, soon. I can't, I don't know that I will feel the same way about you, just given the track record the mm-hmm. uh, there, um, but I'm excited to see uh, how it lands for me. Yeah, I, I think if nothing else, the the scale of some of these set pieces and how out there the movie gets, I think will appeal to you. Like, it might be a little bit too inward still for your taste, but I think it is like going to be very entertaining for you to watch it, even if in the end it doesn't hit you quite the same way. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So moving on to uh, my number six, um, you know, if if putting uh, After Sun lower was already an affront to you, Stephen, um, might have a second affront to you by picking another after film to go above After Sun, and that mm. is a little film called After Yang, um, which wow. is another one of the films that we caught at uh, the one festival that we did this year. Um, after Yang is a really interesting story about a a family um, whose android they have purchased as a sibling to their adopted daughter breaks down and they, and they have to go on a journey to try to figure out if they can repair this uh, secondhand <laughs> android that they bought for the family. And it's really an interesting look at, you know, uh, a family like it, it's, it's this sci-fi film that has incredible, an incredible world setting around it, but it's all on the periphery and it makes you do the work to kind of like listen in to different dialogue from different characters and figure out what this world is like here. And I think that there are so many interesting ideas um, this film opens with an amazing, <laughs> amazing dance number that I think sets an interesting tone to like pull you in like, okay, I'm si- sitting up. I'm excited to watch whatever this film is going to do. And what you get is a very, very slow and deliberate story that just gives you so much to chew on and think about, um, both in sci-fi and, you know, dramatic family sort of story arcs. Um, and I really, really enjoyed After Yang. Yeah, I am very glad this made your list, actually, um, because it spoilers did not make my top 10, even though I thought it was a very, very well done movie. Th- there were a few tonal aspects of it that, for whatever reason, didn't 100% land, and I never did what I promised to do and watch it again <laughs> to, to give it a fair <laughs> shot. But a- as a sci-fi, I think its vision of the future is so interesting and naturalistic and cozy in a way that I find really, really interesting. Uh, The way it plays with memory, I thought was very moving. I definitely felt a little misty while I was watching the, the visualizations of the memory of, um, of Yang's character. And yeah, it, it, it is a really, really lovely movie. And 
I don't think at the beginning of the year I would have ever thought it would make your list and not mine. <laughs> that, that would not seem on brand for either of us. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, that was our number six. Now we're in the back half of this episode. Now, yeah. now is where things get interesting. I feel like there's more potential overlap in this section than yeah. there was previously. Um, this is where Stephen and I begin to get into territory where we can potentially guess what others might have in certain slots. Stephen may mm-hmm. be able to guess better at mine than I can guess at his, but I, you know, we'll, we'll see. We're, this is this is a good this is a good time. This is where it gets exciting. <laughs> yep, totally. All right, you want to take us into number five, Stephen? All right. Uh, so my number five pick is a movie that I don't think we had ever talked about on the podcast, but we did talk about at work about five hours ago. <laughs> so <laughs> I know you've probably seen this movie. Um, it is RRR uh, by S.S. Rajamuli. Um, this was a year that brought us a ton of action spectacles. Top Gun Maverick, Woman King, Ambulance. Some of those might even make your list. Um, none of them gave me pure joy in theaters than watching RRR. I was so happy to catch this when it was doing a theatrical run at Alamo early this year. Um, I believe the Netflix version is only dubbed, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure it is still good, but there was something that just felt right about seeing this in the original language on the big screen. Um, the three and a half hours or however long it is just flew by <laughs> when I was watching this. Um, and this is one of those movies that like the whole world has discovered. So I can't really say anything that hasn't been said about it already. It's like a giant Bollywood spectacle. I have it on good authority. It isn't even the best Bollywood spectacle, but damn to this American, <laughs> did it look awesome. Um, it's ridiculous. The two lead characters meet by riding a horse and a motorcycle off a bridge and then swinging to catch a child through flames <laughs> before high-fiving and leaving. Um <laughs> There's a song and dance number that goes on for probably 15 minutes uh, and is amazing. Uh, Someone throws a tiger at a British guy. Um, It it is just so much fun. And I've heard that it is maybe nationalistic propaganda. I don't have any knowledge of the history to agree or disagree. It definitely wouldn't surprise me from the way that it is filmed. Um, But I believe it is very fun propaganda, and I will receive it like awesome fan fiction. It's just big, silly pump your fist and shout hoorah movie and it is probably the most fun i had in theaters all year so that is rrr yeah rrr is a film that i'm kind of sad i missed i remember that theatrical window where it's like i hadn't heard anything about it yet and i couldn't tell whether it was like i didn't know what it was i just saw the poster for it and i hadn't heard anybody talking about it and you know alamo plays all kinds of stuff at like the weird wednesday terror tuesdays like all the different things and i had no idea what to expect and then suddenly like a hurricane just all of this praise was coming out and i almost had like it was one of those things where like everybody was watching it except for me and i just i was like i just i can't i can't watch this until it's done and it's died down and then then i can go back and just watch it kind of on my own terms like i couldn't i just couldn't handle all of the praise that it was getting and i kind of was like i missed it we're just gonna call it uh here and then i'll come back to it later i don't know maybe maybe i'll watch it this weekend (laughs) yeah no i mean i I can respect that like i believe it would live up to the hype but it is one of those movies that is more fun as like a a discovery that you are like holy shit that was so good than as a film bearing the weight of the entire world loving it um a few movies that i'm sure are going to be on your list i think also fall into that category where 
them feeling like early discoveries you root for kind of helps them. Uh, but we can we can talk about that more when when they inevitably come up. Cool. Um, moving on to my number five. My number five is something that I feel like might be a wild card for your assumption of what I might have put on this list, or you might have it written down and scrolled on a piece of paper as my number five film. Um, it is a film that I definitely enjoyed more than you did, um, at least if I'm remembering the review correctly. And it's a film that doesn't necessarily stick the ending, but is so imaginative and dreamlike and beautiful and tells a really, really interesting story um, about longing um, <laughs> and is really something that I, I, I was drawn into and really kind of fell in love watching this film. And that is the film 3000 Years of Longing, um, mm -hmm. which I think was... You know, I, I, I think we had a good, deep, serious conversation about that film and what it was trying to do. Um, I think it's visually beautiful. It's one of those ones that I feel was much better to see in theaters. Just you could get the grand scale of some of the things that it's presenting. Um, but I, I just thought it was a very touching story that instead of really focusing on the person that discovers a gin or a genie and instead following the person who was trapped in that bottle and what it means to be who they were and what life they might have led before they were released. I just thought it was a very, very beautiful story. And, you know, I, I know, Stephen, you did not like the ending of that film. Um, I think I kind of probably poorly tried to defend it a little bit um, half-heartedly. Um, but I, I just think that the the journey of that film is so beautiful that I really really liked it. And I've thought about it repeatedly over the course of the year. And I'm, I, it's, it was something that I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to put this in my number five slot because it feels like a, a, a thing that I, I walked out of it going like, man, I, I don't know if it's something that I could just wholeheartedly recommend to everybody because I know a lot of people might not enjoy it as much as I did, but I still just have this fond memory of sitting in the theater and kind of watching it unfold. Um, so it's my number five, 3000 years of longing. Yeah, I am. I am surprised it's your number five, but I'm happy that it's your number five. Actually, after Yang is more surprising to me <laughs> than this. So you've been you've been surprising me in general today. Um, it's funny because you correctly reminded me that I wasn't a big fan of the ending of this movie, and you were maybe more positive than I was on it. Because my recollection was being a fan of this movie, and I wanted to find a way to get it on a list, and I just like couldn't, in good faith, put it above <laughs> the other movies that I felt more like visceral joy about but i i love that george miller was able to make this kind of hallucinatory fantastical film with a big budget and tell his very unique very kind of heartfelt not for children's um fable on it put it on the big screen i think it is kind yeah. of a miracle that this movie exists it might be the last kind of movie like this that gets funded because it is just like <laughs> it, 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 this movie is definitely made with mad max um clout and i'm really glad that it was made it is like very memorable there are scenes that are just like burned in my brain and i will always uh, cherish it for that so i'm yeah. i'm very glad that you're shouting it out Cool. Um, well, that was our first dip into the back half of this episode. Those were our number fives. Stephen Miller, take us on into number four. All right. We've already talked about this movie, so I won't spend too long on it. Uh, this is the film Tar, directed by Todd Field. Um, if I'm being objective, I think this is probably the most, quote, perfect movie on my list in that I think it is made nearly flawlessly. Um, it has an incredible performance at the center of it from Kate Blanchett. I think the directing is brilliant. The music is captivating. 
it, it's the story of a rise and fall of a celebrity that just like flows between tones with perfect calibration. It leaves you uneasy. It haunts you. It toggles between making you want to root for her because she's the protagonist and then making you revile her as the villain. It kind of like shows you the enormity of her ego and just like forces you to get drawn into it and feel all the like icky contradictions about it. And I, I just thought this was a movie that was like extremely, extremely well made. The tone is just so interesting and it has a lot of mysteries i think hiding in it uh, this is the kind of movie that just the more i talk about it with people the more i want to go back and re-watch it because of how many little nuggets are hiding there um before he was a director todd field is most famous for being in eyes wide shut playing nick nightingale and i think tar kind of feels like that where it's like a you don't know what genre you're in. It feels like dreamlike and kind of fluid. The music is incredible. And it feels like a movie that you could analyze and reanalyze forever. Um, I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. If my heart had been pulled more, this should be my number one. But this was more a movie that like grabbed all of my brain. And it's just like not quite <laughs> sentimental enough to, to get beyond number four. But this movie is going to deserve all the awards that it inevitably gets uh, in the next few months. Yeah. For sure. All right. My number four is a film that has already been mentioned uh, here tonight. And that is a little film called The Menu. Um, mm -hmm. This was, as I already said, it was a film that I was anticipating. It still blew me away. It delivered on everything I was expecting based on the trailer that I'd seen ad nauseum for the pr like preceding weeks. Um, I got to see it like a week early at one of those Alamo screenings and then went back the actual release week to see it again. And I think it... It's just, it's so fun. It has something to say. You know, it's not trying to be the deepest, uh, you know, conversation about the subject matter, but it still does have a point. Um, and I, I just, the ride is incredible. And, and just watching, it's another film about people who are the best at their craft and where that obsession takes them. Um, but it's, a, you know, instead of being a, a sort of Me Too allegory, it's, it's this, other thing about the destruction that can come about because of um your obsession and attention to detail and yeah I, I i loved the menu and i hope others love it too yeah i i'm glad it is getting a uh, universal praise on the spoiler warning end of the year <laughs> list i hope more people check it out uh, i get a feeling that it is a movie that like only people who happen to go to alamo draft houses have, <laughs> have watched <laughs> it is available on itunes now so everybody can mm -hmm rent it right now or maybe buy it rent it whatever it is it is available everybody can see it um so it's no there, there's nothing limiting you from going to check it out and i think it really is a crowd pleaser i don't think it i don't yeah. think you need to really buy into any specific thing about its setup i think it has enough there to draw you in and make it a good time so i hope i hope i hope people check it out yeah i agree you definitely don't need you don't need to know anything about it. I, I think the more you know about fine dining, the more funny and kind of piercing some of the jabs are. But I think like, I, I feel like everyone is going to love it except Carson. <laughs> and, and they should all check it out. Um, all right, man, Steven, I, I feel like we are making record time on this episode. I don't know. It is crazy. I yeah. feel like these episodes usually go like three hours. <laughs> it's still going to take me 12 hours to edit it somehow. But yeah. I, I feel like I feel like we're, we're keeping it good. 
quick pace um and uh, yeah we're only at one hour in and we're like most of the way done wow <laughs> yeah um all right steven we're, we're getting we're getting close to the end um it's time to find out what your number three is um let us know yeah i mean my uh we are in the place now where i think th- my number three and number two will both be on your list um you're you know we're we're gonna have a good deal of overlap here so my, we can my, just uh my assumption is that your your number three is my number two and my number two is your number one yeah that that's that's the, that's my assumption here um and we will find yeah. out if that is true or someone is gonna totally fuck this up <laughs> and we're yeah. gonna be wildly off all right uh my number three is the banshees of inishirin um directed by martin mcdonough uh, this a lot of people are talking about this as like his comeback. Uh, for my money, Martin has never missed. Uh, I believe he is four for four. I know a lot of people fell off with three billboards. I I clung to it. I love everything he is putting down. And this movie, I think, is just him at his sharpest, but also at his most um, restrained. I, I think it is the movie of his that feels most like a play. And it is just beautifully acted uh, by Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. That's the story about two friends where one day one friend played by Brendan Gleeson just doesn't want to be around the other one anymore. And the kind of strain that that puts on their relationship. Um, like a lot of movies on this list, it is kind of about loneliness. It is kind of about identity. Who are you? What kind of legacy do you want to leave on the world? I, I honestly think it would fit well with a lot of the director movies about like people who want to leave something bigger than themselves and what do you sacrifice in order to try to make something great and is that sacrifice worth it um but honestly i just think it is phenomenally well acted it is extremely darkly funny and i feel like 2022 is a year that just darkly funny is exactly the right vibe for me um it, it has all of these interesting echoes of, you know, the Irish Civil War is being hinted at um, just on the mainland. But this is kind of a world where all of those, quote, political events aren't directly impacting them. And yet it is just kind of like bleeding into them and their relationship with each other and with life. And I feel like in this kind of never ending pandemic feeling where there's a world to be very upset about and you don't feel like you can do anything with it, but it does just like bleed into who you are and who you want to be. Um, I felt like this was the perfect time for Banshees of Inisherin to come out. And I just think it is a damn near perfect movie, wonderfully portrayed by everyone. And I, uh, I really, really love this movie. I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Banshees is one of those films, once again, where you watch the trailer and you're like, this seems like a good time. Um, and you kind of expect it to be a very surface level, just kind of a comedic romp sort of thing with a very, very silly premise. And then you, you know, you wade into it and it you, you realize how deep it actually is and you get kind of swept away in it. Um, and yeah, I, I had an amazing time with it. Um, I think we had a really fun time reviewing it. It's a really, really interesting film about sort of uh the the futility of conflict um and and you know what it means to be a good person in this world and what it means to leave something behind and have a legacy and and yeah i very much enjoyed the banshees of inishern as well Stephen. but that's not what i'm here to talk about right now right now i'm here to talk about my number three now Stephen, beginning of the year if we were trying to 
talk about our most anticipated films or the films that we expected to be our favorite films of the year. This Yeah, let me take off my shirt real quick. <laughs> this film would have not even been close to on my list. I I couldn't have possibly expected this little film in in a world where there's not enough things that aren't part of IP that already exists. You know, you would, mm. you would assume that I would just want to reach out for something original and new and unique. Um, but instead, you know, this little film just flew into my heart <laughs> at Mach 10. And uh, yeah, Top Gun Maverick. This movie has no fucking right being as good as it is. I think this is genuinely a fucking terrific film. It is a movie ass movie. <laughs> it is like it is phenomenal, phenomenal, uh, phenomenal. Mm. I've watched it, you know, multiple times. It's available now. Everybody can watch it on Paramount Plus or whatever, or you can rent it on iTunes, buy it on iTunes. It it is so good, and it's doing all the cliche things. It is hitting all the beats you know it has to hit, and when they hit, they work so well, Stephen. They work so <laughs> amazingly well. This film should not be this good. I love this goddamn movie. Top, I don't even like the first Top Gun. And this film <laughs> makes me retroactively feel fondly towards that film. Pulls them up, it's all over again. Top Gun Maverick. Couldn't have possibly expected it to be this high. When I, but when I sat down to do my list, I was like, well, I have an obvious number one. I have kind of an obvious number two. And I was like, what's the next thing that I walked out as high as any of these other films? And I was like, it, I think it was fucking Top Gun Maverick. Um, so... I didn't expect it to be here, Stephen, but, you know, the heart wants what it does. I I, I respect the choice. I mean, this was one of the most fun experiences I had in theaters this year. I think, like, it it deserves to be on any list that dares to put it on. (laughs) Um, I I think it is, it it is, like, a fucking awesome time at, at the movie theater. It, uh... It, Tom Cruise just knows how to put you in the cockpit, how to make you feel the thrills of everything he's doing. He knows how to make it so a a test flight with no stakes feels like the most exciting, death-defying thing you've yeah. ever seen. Um, Steven, he knows how to put he knows how to put you in the cockpit by putting you in the fucking cockpit. Yeah, yeah, he literally <laughs> puts you in the cockpit. Um, th- everything that he does in his dedication to practical effects to doing his own stunts to learning how to make everything as real as possible i think pays off in dividends in this movie it is so much fun to watch even though i don't care about top gun at all and i already don't remember the plot of this movie um, <laughs> I, I i remember feeling like there were a few fan servicey things that worked really well for you that didn't work quite as well for me um in the movie even though they were you know heartfelt in the real world that they were talking about um but this movie is just so much fun this movie just knows how to have a great time it is a wonderful popcorn movie and honestly like rrr was the one that felt more ridiculous audacious to me but i could have put top gun maverick in that spot too like they were both movies that just made me leave the theater with a absolute high yeah Cool. All right. That was our number threes. It is time to get into our number twos. Bring it on in, Stephen. All right. I almost feel bad about the format of the show now because I don't want to... I'm going to just quickly say my number two and I'm going to let you do most of the talking when it inevitably is your number one because that, that are, feels right. Are you are you going to eat a chapstick before yeah. you tell me what your, favorite, your second favorite <laughs> film is? Yep. 
So <laughs> as Christopher is alluding to, um, my number two, and we'll drum roll, let him announce it, but presumably it's going to come up again uh, very soon, um, is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, this is directed by the Daniels, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart. Um, this is one of those movies where I genuinely want to see everyone involved get nominated. I think Michelle Yeoh, Kihoi Kwan, Stephanie Hsu, and Jamie Lee Curtis all have a good argument for being in that conversation. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it It is like an incredibly fun ensemble movie. It does what I just love about the Daniels um, with Swiss Army Man and Daniel Scheinert's Death of Dick Long, where they take a joke, they hit the punchline way too early for it to make sense and then drag it out to its logical conclusion till way past the point you think you can take. They milk the joke for entertainment, for tears, for laughs, for pathos. They they just pull off a magic trick. Um we will talk about it more. I'm not going to steal all the adjectives for you, but this is just <laughs> bursting, bursting with ideas and chaotic everything in the way that I feel like only the pandemic era could really allow for. It makes everyone relate to it. Everyone feels a little bit crazy and a little bit exhausted and a little bit wanting to be kind. And this movie is just, uh, it is a lovely movie. And the fact that it went from, the little movie that could, the little movie that we want to root for, to unambiguously a giant awards frontrunner and a movie with like an obnoxious fan base on the internet now um, <laughs> is interesting. But I'm happy for it. I'm ha it couldn't have happened to a nicer movie. I had I, I really 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 loved this one, and the Daniels are hitting homers for me uh, all day every day. Yeah, for sure. Um, we will talk about that in a second. Um, but for now. We will get to my number two. That is, of course, uh, something we've already talked about, which is the Banshees of Inisherin. Um, this is a film that, as, as I already said, I, I was excited to check it out, but I didn't quite know how much I was going to really, really enjoy it. This is a film that made me made me laugh and made me cry. Um, you know, it's 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 a film just I don't know. It, it it's it's doing so much, um, and I really had just an incredible time watching it. I want to revisit it. Um, it's, I don't know, I, I think it is really a beautiful film couched in this silly premise, like, like the next film <laughs> that I'll be talking about. Um, but I think just as, as Steven has already said, the performances are amazing. These characters really, really draw you in. You kind of see, you, you, you get a viewpoint from what each character wants. And even though they're butting heads so hard on, on this sort of relationship that they have, you, you see what each one wants and their small, simple lives that they both have and what they think they need from it and what the things that are important to them in the world. And kind of, it's, it's this, it's kind of reducing all the concepts of kind of, you know, what, what we all have when we interact with other people in this world it's reducing it down to just like, let's take these simple folk on a simple little island and kind of throw away the rest of the world, all the things that cloud all of the interactions that we have with other people and reduce it down to just the presence with each other and, you know, what you think is important and whether you're, you know, happy just hanging out at a day or if you want to do something meaningful, whether you care about what your legacy is going to be versus wanting to leave something behind that people will remember you by. And yeah, it's it's an amazing film with amazing performances. And uh, yeah, I, I, I walked out of that film and I was like, holy crap, is this going to be my number two film of the year? This is awesome. I, uh, I agree. Minus one, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stephen. Those were our number twos. 
Um, it is time to get into our number one films in the year. Why don't you take us home? All right. So anyone who has been uh, actively listening to the podcast already <laughs> knows what my number one movie is going to be. And I thought when I saw this movie, we saw a early kind of director screening. Um, I thought this was going to be my little treasure of a movie, the kind of thing that like I and only I would put in a slot like this. Because, hey, scoreboard last year. Come on, come on. Um, a man and a young <laughs> young child kind of interact and talk about the world and the pains of the world, um, see the world through each other's eyes. Three years ago, Honey Boy, looking back on your relationship with your father, this strained experience that is like hurtful, but also loving at the same time. Um, two years, year before that, eighth grade, a movie about how it feels to be a young person, you know, be a, be a girl who's growing up who wants to connect with people, but you don't quite know how. Two years before that, American Honey and Mustang, two movies that were coming of age movies about young people. This is my shit. And of course, I'm talking about the movie After Sun, the movie that was my little gem that appears to be taking at least the critical world by storm is making a hell of a lot of a list is getting a hell of a lot of love and all i can say is come on in the water's warm i've been waiting for you here in my weepy heartfelt naturalistic <laughs> coming of age pool um this movie is really 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 special and i kid a little bit when i compare it to those other movies because this is not only a movie about childhood and innocence and trying to understand what a parent sees or what a child sees. This is a movie that adds layer and layer and layer of kind of beautiful memory to the equation. Um, the way I describe this movie, like I think Tar is the most perfectly executed film, probably in terms of technical craft on my list. This movie, I think, is a perfect artifact. This feels like something that was like buried and dug up and is just a perfect time capsule of a particular experience of a particular person. And I think it is executed so beautifully. Um, this is one of the few movies that I watched a second time because I really just wanted to, I wanted to see if it would hold up. You know, number one is a big deal to put something there on the list. And I yep. wanted to make sure my, my weepy post Roxy film screening of an experience wasn't kind of, clouding my judgment you <laughs> with, know with the old guy next to you <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> because like as you alluded to this is a movie that for a while it kind of goes along just in a very naturalistic like some would say plotting or meandering way not really spoon feeding you very much and then it packs a wallop in the last maybe 15 minutes that recontextualizes it and my feeling when i watched it the first time was that even the first hour and 25 minutes of the movie were making me want to cry because it felt like a memory and it felt like a memory that you want to return to and you want to unpack and you've been turning it over and turning it over and you can't quite get it right. And I couldn't verbalize why while I was watching it the first time, watching it the second time, it is like very, very, very clear to me. Um, so much of this movie is just it flows in that way that feels aching. The camera looks at tiny details. It remembers the dad and the way his fingers twitch while he's asleep next to her. It remembers the 
the way he chose to sleep on a cot while you were sleeping on the bed and how he was clearly frustrated, but he didn't let that frustration take over. He like found a way to try to soothe it. It, it, This is a movie that is just like absolutely beautiful. It it held up 110% on a rewatch. I cried multiple times watching it a second time. It, it is a lovely, lovely headphone movie. I think it has a narrative construct that we alluded to in our review, I believe, uh, about the fact that it is a past tense film. Um, I think it splices just enough of that in to remind you that there's something more going on here without distracting from the narrative just as a young girl spending time with her father. Um, I think the two leads, Frankie Corio and Paul Mescal, are absolutely phenomenal in this movie. And honestly, Paul is getting all the praise because he's an adult. And, you know, as an adult, acting is maybe seen as more of a feat. I think Frankie Corio playing uh, the young girl at the center, the 11-year-old, makes this movie. I think she is so incredibly good at being a kid, being a believable kid with a relationship with her dad that is innocent but also complicated and she knows a little bit more than she's letting on but not enough to actually put it in context and it it is all just so powerful um even without spoiling any of the ending which i think this has the most perfect final 15 20 minutes of anything of the year um i just think the whole movie is an absolute wonder and i love that this year Everyone seems to be on this heartfelt independent wavelength because this is so my jam. And I, uh, yeah, I, I just love After Sun very, very much. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the, you know, doing a podcast is really just about opinions. Everybody has them, you know, listen to other podcasts, uh, especially film podcasts. And, you know, sometimes you agree with the host, sometimes you disagree with the host. This is like the one. This is like the one film where like anytime I hear somebody respond negatively to the film, I feel like I want to write in and be like, hey, I feel yep. you, but I don't like, I feel like there's nothing that I can say to convince them, but I'm like, no, I get it. I'm there. But like, I feel like this is a film where if you are not actively enjoying it, all the things that you think are weaknesses are actually the strengths of the film. And once you get that sort of narrative shift in your head, it allows you to unlock the like you, it allows you to just go like oh shit this is fucking brilliant <laughs> like, mm-hmm. the problem is that it, it there's a narrative framing that is expected when you walk into the film that i think might cloud your your judgment of what you're watching and like when you realize that the filmmaker has all the things that you have while watching the film and you have to think about it in that standpoint that you only have so much material to work with whether it be memory or some sort of visual representation of the past um and i think that just getting that sort of thousand foot view of this film unlocks it if it's if it's not a film that you were vibing on as you were watching it clearly lots of people like you steven can vibe on it in the moment they're first to watch many people in that room (laughs) we saw that we're vibing on it in real time at least at the end like it's it's undeniable that the end is beautiful yeah you can the hate ending the film. Is un- no one has criticized the ending, as yeah, far yeah. as I can tell. You can hate the film and get to the end and still cry. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 a good yeah, choice. Th- the thing is, some of us, some of us just cry at the idea of 
being in an arcade and wanting to play a motorcycle game and someone comes up and plays it with you and it's just <laughs> the very idea of like being a kid in a place and just remembering how that felt yeah knowing that adulthood is hard and in this movie there are very specific reminders that adulthood is hard which are whatever there's no reason to spoil it you can listen to our review where we talk in depth about it but i think even without that we all or at least some of us just bring that baggage in we're just watching the purity of a person wanting to connect and find a place in the world is already beautiful just like the feeling of memory yeah. and yeah i i think it's very hard to make a movie feel like a memory and this movie really really does one thing that is kind of interesting, and I'll I'll kind of dance around this um, for now um, or forever, uh, is that you know since we recorded our review, I've listened to other people talk about this film, and it's interesting. There is something in our review that we just take at the only interpretation, right? And to hear anybody have any other interpretation of a certain aspect of the story is, it's it's wild to me, and I I, I can't. Yeah. It, it's. Like I want to sit down on, people... on rewatch, on rewatch too. I would say it is undeniable. Yeah, um, there are even more things sprinkled sprinkled into. But I, I will say when we, because I re-listened to our review when I was making this list, um, I left a little bit more ambiguity in my interpretation of it, while also acknowledging that, like, almost definitely we were both thinking the same thing. Yeah. Um, watching it again, I feel like. Yeah, I, I'm curious if people are just trying to be very kind and not spoil anything by not even hinting at what the movie is about. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I feel like there's no other read personally for me, not with the conversations that are sprinkled out, too, and a few things that really... Anyway, we we don't have to spoil it. Yeah, yeah we, don't, we don't have to litigate that. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say I paused and rewound a few times to make sure I knew what room certain scenes were taking place in and whether I had seen that lamp before. <laughs> you know, there, there were a lot of things I did to try to uh, You're just be more literal than I probably should in a movie like this. You have like a murder board set up where you're running string between different stuff? Yes, absolutely. <sighs> you have like the corner. When she had it, it was on heads. And then after this goes down, it's on tails, which represents... <laughs> I will say on second viewing, um, wearing the cast underwater did <laughs> jump out at me too in a way it didn't on the first time. So I had a little bit of a schnazzy the second time around. Yeah, yeah. But I, even, but I have decided that was intentional. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I justified it in the moment in our review. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Moving on to my number one. Um, you know, as I mentioned at the top uh, when I was describing how I create my list, it's often just it's just it's just my favorite, right? It's just it's just the thing that I enjoyed the most that I had the best time watching. But sometimes, you know, you want to make a list that does include something that you genuinely think is the best. But the question is, do I go for the best comedy? Do I go for the best drama? Do I go for the best action film? Do I go for the best sci-fi film? Do I go, you know, like what what genre of film do I pick? Here's the thing, Stephen. Sometimes you don't have to choose. Sometimes you can literally have everything, everywhere, all at once. Nicely done. <laughs> Stephen has tried to avoid talking too much about this. This is a film that um, it's it is a film that is 
wacky premise, right? Um, it's something that you go into because it looks exciting and fun and you think you're going to enjoy your time, um, which is something that the, that the Daniels are really good at. Take a, take a silly premise and wreck your heart with it <laughs> by making you experience like this emotional, uh, like, take you through the emotional ringer um, by throwing you through something that is so much deeper than you could have possibly expected based on the premise. This is a film that like, after seeing it, you know, I told a bunch of people, I was like, hey, if you watch the trailer and it put you off, just watch it. If you make it an hour through the film and you're still put off a little bit by it, just watch it because by the end, it will 100% pay off for you. Um, and that's even if you don't care about the actual genuinely really interesting sci-fi premise of this film, the genuinely interesting comedic timing and stuff, the the family drama that really like rolls, uh, pulls you in. Like, obviously... I, I have a different upbringing than the characters that are predicted and per, that are depicted in this film. Um, so I don't have that sort of background to kind of speak to living through that experience, but it pulls you in so quickly and so easily. And you understand the relationship that this mother and daughter have and how much all these scenes mean to these characters. And I think that it, this film is so inventive. It's, it's made, it, 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 it's like, like how this film got made with what little they brought to it. Like they just fucking did it. Yeah. And it's like th this is more ambitious than like $500 million films <laughs> that, that you could have seen this year. Um, and it's made for like an infinitesimally small fraction of that amount of money. And it's like, when I was watching this, I couldn't understand what I was watching. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was it was everything everywhere all at once. It was, it was just kind of, I was like, oh yeah. my God, this is brilliant. This is hilarious. This is endearing. I'm crying. It's making poignant statements about, <laughs> about being alive, which is something that these, that this duo is very, very good at. And like when I walked out of that film, I was like this, I, I can't imagine anything else this year. Like, taking this number one slot from this like it would have had to be something that really blew me away for me to even contemplate putting something in that yeah. number one slot against this film like I, I i i just i thought it was brilliant and uh i loved every second of watching it and yeah steven said give all the awards to everybody in this film because <laughs> these performances are fucking incredible yeah yeah like michelle yo deserves the majority of the praise you know this is definitely a a huge comeback for her and it is really beautiful to me the the moment where i remember first really tearing up in this movie is when kihoi kwan says like it it's something like in another life i would love nothing more than to like get old doing laundry with you yeah you know it, this it's this idea of just like finding contentment wherever you are you know companionship over excitement in life deciding what is important I, I think his sincerity throughout the movie is so moving he honestly has the majority of the cry lines for me and i i would love to see him you know get get his due this year yeah it, and, and like in every it, other film right he's he's playing what is essentially a wet blanket <laughs> But it's yeah. it's the it, it's not wet because he's just a wet blanket. It's it's the endearing tears. <laughs> you yeah. wet the blanket by by watching <laughs> by watching him. Yeah, it. I, this movie is so good, and honestly, the story of this movie is probably one of the most heartening ones in a long time. 
in cinema. Because remember, this like this movie came out as the oh the Swiss Army Man guys did another movie that from the trailer I don't even know if I'm gonna like it. It looks like a little bit too out there. It doesn't seem like it's gonna have the same emotional core that Swiss Army Man did. Um, it went from that to chugging along for week and week and week and week and week and week and week, staying in theaters, becoming the highest grossing film A24 has ever had, yeah. um, to being a heavy hitting awards contender, a movie with a, like, a major fan base. It, uh, it is wonderful to see that this can happen. Like it, uh, it, it is really a kind of success story I don't remember seeing before. Yeah, and, and like as it has testament to how good they are at what they're trying to do, there's a scene towards the end of this film, a big emotional scene, where they literally remove everything that you could possibly use to build on top of something to artificially cause emotion, right? They have r removed the actors, they have removed the scenery, they've removed the music, they've removed all yeah. the things that filmmakers have at their disposal to trick you into feeling something they completely remove it and let just the sheer thing that is taking place just utterly wreck you and it's like that yeah. it almost feels like a dare it almost feels like like all right this is a little on the nose how can we like not sorry let me phrase that not even this is on the nose it's more of a the thing that we were going for is so pure that what if we just turned off you know, it's like you have sliders of all the things and you just set them all to zero and just let it play, let the scene play out. And it still works perfectly and doesn't require any like fake, any anything that isn't just the pure reality of what they're trying to convey. And it it's it's beautiful. Yeah. It, did I ever because I'm sure I've talked about it before. Make you watch. It's such a beautiful day. The Don Hertzfeld movie. Yes. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, because th this reminds me of the kind of thing that usually only animation can do, where it can go like really, really, really big and loud and then really, really quiet and kind of like carry you through the brain of its creator. Yeah, they, The Daniels find a way to do that with a live action film <laughs> in a way that I think is really astonishing. Like it just moves with a kind of like fluidity that films can't move in usually. And they... um. It is just this like 100% confidence that they know what they are doing, that they can carry you along for a ride, that they can play with the audience. Um, and yeah, I love it has like the loudest loud moments and the quietest moments of stillness. And it, uh, it just knows how to toggle between them in a way that is just incredible. I, I haven't tried watching this at home. I don't know if you've tried yet and how that played for you. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I've, I've watched it a few times and it's still... It's, it still works every time. My favorite thing is like you know, my, my description before about like if you don't like it at the beginning, just sit through it was well, like when I like when I got home, I, t I told Jamie, I was like, I think for the first part of the film, you would be shaking your head and wondering why I made you watch this film. But by the end, it will totally win you over and you'll be crying. And I, I don't remember if it was, she was home one day when I was working, but like she put it on. And she was watching it and I came out and she was just, she looked at me like, why did you make me watch this? And then I came out again she was just huddled in a little ball crying. <laughs> and I just came and sat down and held her. <laughs> yep. Oh. Yeah. I mean, everything everywhere all at once is, um, 
it is the most 22 film of the year for sure it is the movie i think that will represent the year it's the movie that tells the story of what we were all going through (laughs) over the last few years and it um it speaks to everyone i think it like the menu i feel like it is a movie that has big ideas but also knows how to just be palatable and not not condescend to the audience but also not dumb things down like it it just it's just on the wavelength of the crowd and it knows how to move them and i think that is really 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 cool yeah i like i can't wait to see what they do next and i'm also afraid because i don't know how you could possibly go bigger than this I feel like the only way to go is in a completely different direction. Um, (laughs) But I'm excited to see what they pull off. Yeah, yeah. 100%. So, yeah, those were our favorite, our top, our top 10 favorite films of 2022. Um, You know, we've reached the point in the podcast where we sort of just go, we go go freeform a little bit. I think Steven definitely usually has some sort of uh, list of runners up that he would like to acknowledge at least um so i i can give you a, a chance to do that there's also one film that we didn't record a review of that we haven't even talked about um i've seen you tweet about uh <laughs> mm. um, involving high frame rate that i feel like yep. we have to at least talk about a little oh, bit yeah. we'll talk um, we'll, yeah so we'll let, we'll go the way of water for a little bit yeah, i yeah. think i think that's fair <laughs> but maybe first we can go positive yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's go positive yeah, um, I mean, I can, I don't know if I should just run through a ton of honorable mentions if we want to ping pong or how we want to do this. Um, I mean, I mean, just go for some I, honorable mentions. Yeah, yeah, I have a lot this year. Um, I mentioned that documentaries I was just not putting in contention this year to make my life easier. Um, there were a few that I really loved. Uh, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is a really pretty incredible kind of unexpected documentary um about uh the life of nan golding who is a kind of artist um a photographer and a performance artist who decided to dedicate the last few years to taking down the sackler family um who are largely responsible for the opium crisis i did not google their name so i hope i got it right and if i didn't then i'm sorry for whatever family i just uh, (laughs) blamed for the opium crisis um but it's a really incredible documentary um very 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 it's directed by the person who made citizen four and it is the least like citizen four i've ever seen it is not straightforward at all it is very much like jumping between memory and present tense and not explicitly connecting the themes and then by the end it just really packs a wallop um fire of love about volcanologists that one moved me so much miranda july narrates it and it is wonderful (laughs) um Bad Axe was a documentary that was filmed during the pandemic uh, about a family that is trying to keep a restaurant um, from going out of business in the early months of 2020. It it is kind of like a time capsule of everything that we were going through. You know, you see people freaking out about, you know, whether it is dangerous to go outside for two minutes, uh, you see political uprisings taking place and the way this family kind of interacts with this. They live in a small town in Michigan, and so they are surrounded by people who aren't taking the pandemic seriously. It it just feels like a movie that is like a perfect time capsule of this very, very, very specific thing that we all lived through. Um, and Descendant is a documentary um, about... 
people who live in Africatown, which is a kind of neighborhood in Mobile, Alabama, who all descended from a slave ship that was brought over years after the slave trade was legally outlawed in America. Um, They're kind of petitioning and fighting to find it, to prove that their history happened. And spoilers for the movie, or if you haven't seen you know, any of the headlines when it actually happened, the ship was indeed found. And it, it's just like a kind of very, very interesting movie that again is like a a microcosm of the national conversation about race. I feel like it is one of those documentaries that captures a lot of things that we all kind of lived through over the last few years and does it in a really interesting way. I'm not going to summarize every movie, I promise. I just feel like documentaries <laughs> deserve. Um, no, I've heard a lot of good uh, of, of good stuff about that docu- documentary in yeah. particular. Yeah, that, that one was really good. Um, I have a horror movie on this list, uh, a horror movie that very nearly made my actual top 10. Uh, I was debating whether to include it or not. And this is a movie called Resurrection, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is starring uh, Rebecca Hall, who I think gives one of the absolute best performances of the year. I think she and Kate Blanchett should be like arm wrestling for the Oscar in a world that valued horror performances as much as they should. Um, I, I had a ticket for that at the at one of the festivals, and I didn't get to watch it, um, yeah. which made me very very sad. I believe it's on Shutter now. Um, so I think it is. I think I just like forked out for an iTunes rental yeah. or something of it. Um, <laughs> I need to watch something on my my lifetime Shutter subscription. You you should for. watch this movie. Uh, I do not think Jamie would like it, so you can maybe pick a headphone time to watch it. Yeah. Um, Tim Roth is so disturbing in this movie, but Rebecca Hall, she gives what I believe is like a seven or eight minute monologue in the middle of this movie that turns from this movie almost has a bigger turn than Barbarian in and it all happens within a monologue where you think you know what movie you're watching and in like an unbroken take. She goes from that movie to a totally different movie to a totally different movie. It, it is unbelievable how good she is in uh, in Resurrection, even though I am so not um, I am not a horror person. I'm specifically not a body horror person. And this movie gets into that a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it was yeah, fucking I, rad. I, I'm excited <laughs> to watch it. It's it's uh, I have it bookmarked right now in Shutter or whichever service it is well, that I last saw it in. Um, and I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah. Uh, a few animated movies I want to give a shout out to. Uh, Guillermo del Torco. Do, <laughs> Guillermo del Torco. Tokyo. I, Guillermo, Guillermo del Torco. <laughs> uh, Guillermo del Toro's uh, Pinocchio was a movie that I caught up with just a few weeks ago. I thought this movie was amazing. Uh, it was like a fresh take on Pinocchio. It steers very much into what I imagine were some of the more original inspirations of the movie. Uh, It is taking on fascism (laughs) very directly (laughs) in Italy. Uh, It is also taking on religion, not in a completely spiteful way, but in a, I think, like very interesting, nuanced way. Um, The animation is absolutely gorgeous in this movie. Uh, The voice acting uh, is like wall-to-wall wonderful i had such a good time watching pinocchio i i I tried again to put this in my top 10 list too i think it is pretty amazing 
another one that I count as animation, I don't know if everyone does, but I wanted to highlight uh, was Marcel the Shell with Shoes on. Mm. Um, a movie that I think just like hits that heart place really, really, really well. It is like Jenny Slate is just so good in that movie. Yeah. Um, her singing, I'm already standing on the ground. Like I, it is still stuck in my head. Uh, beautiful movie. <laughs> Man, I, I think I was expecting too much from that one. It was one of those things where mm. like, I was I was ready to be blown away by it, and I was like, "That was really cute." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, well, I I just think I respect how small it yeah. is. I I think it's hard to stay that small um, yeah. I, and I, I, still be authentic. I also expected more of a journey. There's a lot of build up in that trailer <laughs> to like the, the great journey we go on to find the family. Yeah, and it just goes. Yeah, the trailer oh, does it dirty. Okay, the trailer makes it look like a like Toy Story three or something, and it isn't. <laughs> I was waiting for uh, the shell to be in a furnace compactor. <laughs> Just trying not to die. Um, uh, on the action front, uh, in addition to Top Gun, which you mentioned, um, Woman King, I thought was really good. Yeah. Uh, like That was pretty badass, an incredible action movie just from beginning to end. Um, Athena is a movie that I struggled to try to find a place on the list. Um this is a movie that starts with an incredible long take, like one of the most amazing opening shots of the year. It keeps up that energy for throughout the whole movie. The intensity is incredible. The themes are great. Uh, the plot, I think, doesn't fully hang together, which kept it from being on the list. Yeah. But it is really, really, really cool. I've, I've heard the ending shits the bed a little bit. Is that true? Yeah, it didn't alienate me with the ending, but I think... Um, I think it is a movie that is best when it is at motion and when it tries to slow down is when you yeah. kind of realize they haven't fleshed out the characters enough to justify everything that it's doing. But God, when it's moving, it is, uh, it is really, really pretty incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Athena um, and Pinocchio are both things that I, that I was planning on watching, but it, it's, it's funny how things being on Netflix is like, well, they're not going anywhere. I don't got to make time right yeah. now. Like there's, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's no, there's nothing making me commit at the given moment. And I just let them get away from me. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to check them out. Yeah, no, no, I get it. Um, all right. A, a few others that I'll just blast it real quick. Uh, Babylon was a movie that I actually really, really, really liked. I think it doesn't stick the landing. I think the last 15 minutes undercut the movie a little bit, but Damien Chazelle knows how to make a movie yeah. <laughs> and Babylon I thought was wildly entertaining uh, it had so much to say about an era of Hollywood that I don't know a lot about and I thought this movie was pretty much a total blast I I really liked it I'm kind of surprised at how much hate this movie has gotten since it came out I, I'm excited to see that one too I just that runtime I was like do I sneak this in end of day on a Sunday and I was like no I'll, I'll wait for this one to be streaming <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, another kind of overstuffed movie that uh, people didn't love as much as I did uh, was White Noise, a Noah Baumbach's movie um, starring Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig based on a postmodern novel that I have not read. Um, I get why people wouldn't like White Noise, going to be honest. It <laughs> definitely feels like you're reading a pretentious novel while you watch it, uh, but it kicks so much ass, too. <laughs> um, Steven, there, there are a lot of these things are like became available in the last, the last two weeks of the year so it's it's uh it's funny this is like <laughs> i can see that this is the ramp up at the end yeah yeah a lot of this is the ramp up at the end of the year for sure um 
but I, I think White Noise is great. I kind of feel bad that it didn't get more of its due. It ends on this after Yang and RRR are all maybe tied for my famous favorite dance sequences of the year. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, is a, it is a good year for dancing. Um, another one that came out a while ago that I didn't catch in theaters, but I did catch up with on rental is Funny Pages, uh, which is a coming-of-age movie about an aspiring comic book artist. Um, my pitch for this movie is most coming of age movies are a little bit nostalgic about like wow you didn't know how good you were you wouldn't you didn't know how great you were going to have it this movie is like yeah we all sucked didn't we i fucking sucked <laughs> <laughs> it is a movie that has um it has an edginess to it that i just find really really cool and i i i really liked it um it is a little bit rough around the edges and it's kind of like a wisp of a movie. Like it kind of evaporates before the ending, but I like how rough it is. I, I really had a lot to enjoy about it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I bailed out of the trailer for that movie. <laughs> uh-huh. Should I, should I give it a shot? If you imagine that he is not living in the real world, but is living in a world made of, comic book characters i think you will watch it and have a lot to love about it um if you expect perfect realism from the movie i think it is going to irritate you uh i i thought it was pretty damn cool i i liked it a lot gotcha all right uh, the last two that i'm going to shout out and then i'm going to be done um one is the eternal daughter by joanna hogg the third movie after the souvenir the souvenir part two tilda swinton plays herself and her mother um, in a movie that is kind of like a gothic haunted house type story, but also a story about a director finding inspiration. Really, really, really cool. Very well made. I loved it a lot. It didn't hit the heights of the souvenir movies, which I just like really, really loved, but still very cool movie worth checking out. The final one, which is the most recent one that I watched is Holy Spider. This is in a film by an Iranian director that came out last year that happened to be playing at the Roxy a couple days ago. So I was able to check it out. This is like, so the premise is there is a serial killer in this city in Iran who has been murdering prostitutes. And there is a female journalist who wants to take him down. And it feels like an intense kind of Fincher thriller that then turns into being a, procedural and kind of a legal film that is taking on a lot of social issues about Iran. Um, the places this movie goes, especially like two thirds of the way through, I was so shocked. I did not see it coming at all. I think it is a very interesting kind of act of protest as a movie while also being a kind of like dark, viscerally intriguing film in its own right. Uh, it was not filmed in Iran. It would have been extremely illegal to film it there, I'm sure. Um, but it still feels like a very bold act of protest. And I, I thought it was really, really riveting. I, I'm honestly surprised I haven't heard more about it. It was it was very cool. Gotcha. And also very dispiriting, too. Uh, the, the subject matter is obviously not not pleasant. But yeah. I was a fan. Cool. Um, well, yeah, as I mentioned, I avoided... A bunch of stuff at the end of the year that one day i may or may not ever catch up on um there's still things that like in years that i missed that i've that i've still never seen which i i I won't mention on this podcast for fear of uh alienating people who will no longer think i have any credibility for (laughs) 
having not watched. Um, but let me see. Like you're, yeah. So so I'm definitely positive on uh, your placing emergency on your list. Um, I had a lot of fun with that. The festival, Woman King, was also awesome. That was on my short list. Um, let's see. Uh, man, I, I still. This would have never made my list, but sometimes I throw a wild card into that number 10 slot. I still really, really enjoy it. I love my dad. <laughs> I knew when you said I still at the very beginning and smirked that it was going to be I love my dad. <laughs> so much that I didn't shout it out, even though it's in my list of honorable <laughs> mentions. That, that, that film is great, though. Um, you know, I still, I still can't believe this guy as, as this little kid that he's supposed to play. He's like a full grown ass yeah. adult. Um, <laughs> but I had a really great time. Um, it's probably worth mentioning that we, you and I had a gentleman's agreement that we wouldn't count uh, Red Rocket as being a film mm-hmm. that released in 2022. Since t- oh yeah, it probably would have been my number two. Yeah, <laughs> if yeah. it had that, that would have for sure been on the list. But once again, gentleman's agreement, we should have been able to see it at a festival the year before, so it it would have been out of contention for this year. Um, but still a great film. If people haven't seen it, it's worth checking out. Um, had a lot of fun with Decision to Leave. Probably wouldn't have made a list yep. of mine, um, but it was still a really, really good time. Um, got got a shout out, uh, Glass Onion. <laughs> yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, why not? I was kind of surprised it didn't make your top 10, honestly. it. I, I think if that first half didn't, like, if it wasn't, if, if the characters were more grounded, I think it probably would have. But I think there's a little bit of just sort of that that overly heightened caricatures of who all those people were supposed to be that kind of bumped it down a little bit, but I've rewatched it since and still enjoyed it just as much. Had a good time. Um, one film that was, that was in contention, um, for a slot on the list, um, was actually, um, uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Um, Mm -hmm. I rewatched that film and sitting alone it does not land anywhere near as hard as it landed in a theater full of people that were just erupting in laughter. I really, really... Was that going to be your number five? It, was that the it, one that you it, were rewatching? It was potential for my number five slot, yeah. <laughs> and for the record... I assumed After Sun was the one you were rewatching. No, 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 no. After Sun, I knew exactly how I felt about After Sun. For the record, it mm-hmm. would have shoved everything down. I would have kept 3,000 years of longing. Um, that was always going to mm. stick on the list, but it would have it would have bumped Cha Cha real smooth off of the list. Barbarian mm-hmm. would have taken that perfect number ten wild card slot. Yep. Um, and instead, I was like, "That's got to go," and then bumped everything up. And I was like, "Cha Cha, come on in. <laughs> Why don't you slide <laughs> right in?" Um, uh, I, I also, I, I'm still I'm still going to go to bat for the Batman. Um, yeah, I it was it, like it wasn't really in contention, but it was a film that I genuinely liked. I know people are all over the map on their feelings of that film, um, but damn it, if I don't really love emo Batman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the more I think about it, the more I'm surprised it wasn't in contention for either of us because it was very well executed. Um, it. I don't know why it didn't it didn't ever hit the kind of maverick type sweet spot of being like a great blockbuster. It just maybe it came out too early in the year to feel that way. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
Like for for me, every, it was really good. Like I have very few complaints about yeah. it. Like everything, everywhere, all at once came out in the same month, but that just mm-hmm. it just erased my brain of any other thing around. And the Batman, yeah. I almost forgot it was this year. Yeah, like I really, really enjoyed it. I love that take on Batman. Um, uh, but it just it wasn't something that I felt like <laughs> like I'd rather throw a Barbarian on the list than Batman. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and let's see if there's anything else. No smile. So, so I, I, I think, I think the ending of Smile is bad, and I think that there's a there's an obvious solution for the, the thing in Smile that is the the conflict. So it's like for me, it is a very well made horror film. I enjoyed it a lot. I think it's great. I would have loved to force you to watch it so we could do a review of it. Um, but it, mm-hmm. it just, it didn't quite, if that ending would have been more, if I would have been fully on board for the ending, then I, then it, it could have been on the list. I also really, really enjoyed the black phone. Um, did, did you see yeah. that one? You, you did was, see that one, right? I watched it after the fact. Yeah. Okay. I, I rented it at some point, maybe during COVID. Okay. Yeah. That, that was a really, yeah, really it was one. really good. This was a year that I liked a bunch of horror movies, honestly. I liked Barbarian. I liked The Black Phone. Um, We can debate whether we're all going to the World's Fair counts as a horror movie or not. Um, Nanny was a movie that, like, didn't quite make my list, but that Sundance film I thought was actually really well done. Um, Yeah, I liked creepy movies this year. That's another (laughs) one that could have been on my list if it weren't for the ending. (laughs) Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. It is a movie that I think didn't a hundred percent stick the landing, but the the creepy crawly aspect of it, I think, was was very well done. And then Resurrection, obviously, is a movie that was like on my list until a couple days ago. Yeah, um, that 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 yeah. is definitely. I'm 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 going to watch Resurrection soon, um, and I'm I'm excited to check it out. You're gonna hate the ending, by the way. I, I think you're still gonna like it. I don't mean you're gonna like chris brain hate the ending i mean like you're just gonna find it uncomfortable (laughs) okay great (laughs) very very excited very very men very men like ending (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right Uh, okay (laughs) one more while you were talking i remembered uh, that i want to shout out even though i couldn't put it on my list was jackass forever (laughs) I, i saw it in theaters being in a crowded theater watching someone's testicles get pogo sticked I, on um I, i'm gonna be honest seeing the clips in ehrlich's uh <laughs> top top video that was yeah. that was too much for me i can't i just can't do it yeah. steven i can't do it i can't all, all i can say is when i saw little things in the trailer or clips of other jackass movies and stuff online i felt pain when you are staring at it on the big screen and just living in that world, you like transcend the pain and just become a different person. <laughs> there is something very wonderful that happens in a crowded theater. If I'm like on a social network in like the explore tab of like a TikTok or Instagram or something, and like a skateboarder goes off a ramp, I swipe before, like, I don't even know if it's a crash video. I just, mm-hmm. I really, maybe it's because I've broken. You've never seen anyone land in Ollie. <laughs> I mean, Ollie's, my assumption is it's fine. If it's ollieing up or across a gap of, of something, then then I it's if I if there's any you know, like sometimes I'll watch it until the last possible second. Like if they're trying to clear a fence and I'm just like in my brain, I'm doing like math and being like, oh, 
he doesn't have enough thrust to <laughs> to clear that fence. I'm just immediately whoop. Like I just can't. I I don't know why. Maybe it's because I've like dislocated and broken things before that I just have too yep. much sense memory that 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 freaks me out about it. But I I, I can't. I hate I hate watching it. I hate watching it. I can watch a horror film where somebody gets like yep. their entire body ripped apart by some demon. And but but I, I don't care. But if it's an actual recorded video of somebody like eating shit on a skateboard i'm just ah yeah it's too much yeah i don't know what to tell you i I had a wonderful time (laughs) joanne i couldn't believe i liked it and i was watching jackass at home afterwards and she did not want to watch it i can't believe you 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 said you also watched a bunch of the other ones on streaming leading up to watching it yeah i watched uh, jackass movies one and two i didn't watch 3d yeah you you needed the the whole story (laughs) yeah exactly i needed to know (laughs) Honestly, I wanted to know who was new and who wasn't because I did not watch it. I was not allowed to watch it when it first came out. Gotcha. <laughs> and and I used to watch the show on MTV, right? Like it's not like I'm mm-hmm. a, but but I think they've gotten I think they've gone like it was dumb shit before, right? Like run up and, and punch your dad while he's sleeping kind of shit sure. originally on the TV show. And then when it went to the movies, it was like what if they almost die? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's see. We're 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 approaching the the two hour mark. I, I already talked about earlier in the show that like I I lost the ability to pay attention to what is coming out. Uh, but there are two films that I'm excited for next year. Um, obviously, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. I'm very very excited for and uh, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Um, like those mm-hmm. two are my most anticipated anticipated films of the year. What are you looking forward to this year, Stephen? Yeah, I honestly have not been paying attention to what is coming out this year. Uh, Oppenheimer, the like I share a year or two for sure. Um, I'm very curious about Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie, which is coming out the same weekend as Oppenheimer, which will be fun <laughs> for both of us because we definitely are going to review both oh, of yeah, them. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I believe the the new Martin Scorsese movie um, starring Jesse Plemons and Leonardo DiCaprio is supposed to come out. I think it was going to come out last year and then it got delayed. Um I'm not going to say the name without looking it up because I'm going to be wrong, but (laughs) whatever, let's say it. In my head, it's like Flowers of a Silver Moon. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's something. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's something something like that. I don't I don't remember the name either, but I I still want to make you watch Megan. Which I know is in theaters. Killers right of now. the Flower Moon. <laughs> I, Megan honestly um, looks pretty fun. Like I think I've gotten enough into the horror genre that I know what will not terrify me, and I think Megan wouldn't terrify me. I'm a little tempted to watch it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I honestly don't know what else is coming out this coming year. I haven't been paying any attention to it. Yeah, we're we're definitely gonna have to to figure out what the plan is. Um, uh looking looking forward to this year you know it it was really funny like in 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 previous years there was there were a ton of films that we saw at festivals that just disappeared like maybe eventually they showed up on like itunes as a rental thing like suddenly out of nowhere but they kind of just went to the ether this year it feels like there were so many things like i had a short list of things i wanted tickets to to one of the last festivals that we did and like when i was going through the list of releases to find what i 
did or didn't watch. So many of those things were available already that I was like, huh, interesting. It's kind of like everything just like that, that release window, even for things that were just a festival film that nobody would have normally picked yeah. up in an, on another year is like, yeah, we'll, we'll snatch that up and throw that out there. Um, so it's been nice to see how quickly things become available. Yeah. I wonder if part of it is the, uh, uh the digital Sundance format means people are like, well, everyone could have already seen it. So we might as well just like, like maybe they get a little bit of traction early and then distributors are willing to grab them early. I yeah. don't know. Cause I, I felt that too in the last year, like all the festival movies came out. One last one I'm excited for because I'll always be excited for it. But John Wick chapter four, <laughs> I have a, uh, two John Wick movies to watch before that one if I want to catch up on it. Uh, well, maybe, Stephen, you can join me for John Wick Chapter 3. I did the Alamo Draft House triple triple whammy <laughs> where they played mm-hmm. all three of them back to back. Wow. That was that was definitely a fun time. Um, but you're also at an Alamo, so you feel like you have to order something, but you can't eat more food, so you're just ordering drinks. <laughs> <laughs> just pouring them out in the aisle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. They they probably I I assume they're not going to do a quadruple feature. Maybe they'll do the last like three and four together as one, Maybe. Um, or like every night they'll do a different one or something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Oh yeah, that one is going to kick ass. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm that, excited for that one know, as well. Into the Spider Verse was great, and that's all she wrote. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know anything about what's coming out. <laughs> There's another Insidious movie. Fuck. I'm going to be a James Wan completist by the end of you torturing me on this podcast. <laughs> Ten years after the last installment. Um, so Insidious 5 is coming out. You ready to do a, a whatever a 5 is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. Nice. I'll do anything. I'm not afraid of horror movies anymore. I'm, I'm going to say that. I don't want to watch them in theaters if they're really scary, but in this like at home viewing world, I can survive a horror movie. There's an Expendables four. Oh man! For my um sixties and seventies like marathons this year, I watched uh, The Exorcist. I watched um, Rosemary's Baby. I watched Suspiria. Like I I did a lot of horror movies. I've gotten I've gotten used to it. Steven. There's another Trolls movie coming out. <laughs> oh, boy. That means it's going to be the end of the pandemic. <laughs> That's going to usher in the end of the pandemic. Oh, man. Good times. Um, mm. I feel like we are supposed to briefly talk about Avatar. Yeah, yeah. We, we do have to talk about Avatar. Um, I, saw, I saw you go on a little bit of rant about how high yeah. frame rate is an abomination. Um and not the abomination that would go after Rebecca Hall in Resurrection, um, mm-hmm. but just an abomination on our senses. Um, I, I agree with you. I agree. Mm-hmm. High frame rate is terrible. I am very sensitive to flickering. Like when I get into bed at night, I, I can see the like <laughs> the FaceTime camera flickering on the walls <laughs> and I can't sleep. Um, but... Let's talk about this film for real. I mean, mm-hmm. do you like so? So, what were your thoughts on the first Avatar film? 
Yeah, I I loved Avatar when it came out. It was a theatrical experience. I don't believe it was high frame rate for me, at least. I believe it was just, just 24 FPS when I saw it in theaters. Yeah. Um, it, it was a grand 3D experience. It, it was taking me to a world I had never been before. I think Coraline had only come out maybe like eight months earlier, nine months earlier. So 3D was still very new for me in terms of it being a real thing. Um, I, I loved it as an experience. The story, I forgot immediately. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, that was kind of my Avatar experience. The story was definitely not the best. You know, everybody's compared it to Fern Gully, to Dances with Wolves, to Pocahontas, to all, all the things mm -hmm. that uh, involve white savior <laughs> complex stuff. Yeah. Um, I, you know, like people, you know, there, there was all the people that supposedly were upset at the universe because Pandora wasn't real and they wanted to live on Pandora. I never really got that. Like, obviously, the first mm -hmm. Avatar film looked great technologically, right? Like, it was a great achievement in digital representation of characters, but it still didn't like, oh, my God, this world is real. I don't know yeah. if it's just in the world of like gaming on like a 4090 and, and like paying attention to ray tracing and shit this movie looks fucking good like <laughs> all the all the time because i think underwater it, it, this movie looks like the best thing i've ever seen in my life so underwater <laughs> above water it felt like a video game cutscene th still to me there's there's a shot minor spoilers uh cloned whatever his name is i want to call him porridge but that's <laughs> that's not his name <laughs> Sure. He's not too hot, not too cool. <laughs> Colonel, Colonel, whatever the hell his name is, whatever, whatever the guy, yeah. Yeah, you, you know the guy I'm talking about, Courage, Courage, yeah, I know, Courage, I know the guy, Courage, sure. I don't know what his name is. I'll, Fuck it, I don't remember. I'll buy it. Um, whatever his, his, he awakes in his cloned avatar body in the space station. Mm -hmm. Steven, the fucking lighting effects in that shit look. Like all, I, I, I didn't even hear any lines of dialogue because I was looking at reflections in the glass, the lighting coming off of mm -hmm. all like the panels and shit. Like this film makes the first Avatar look like claymation Christmas time. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, like yeah, no, and technologically it is impeccable. Yeah. Like it, it is the first thing I've seen maybe where CG looks as real as human beings to the point where you cannot even tell. You know what is CG and what is not because you know blue people and giant talking whales don't <laughs> exist in real life. You know what's CG and what's not because all the people in high frame rate look like they're on a soundstage that looks like shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, so anyways, here's the thing. I, I, I think Avatar 2 is better than Avatar 1. Like, its mm -hmm. story is simpler. It's going for less. It's really just a simple revenge story. Um, and... You know, a character trying to protect this new family that he has. And I think by limiting the scope of the story it's trying to tell, it's inherently better. It avoids a lot of the problems of the first film. Um, it's it's still not, it still didn't really blow me away. It, it, it would never arrive on one of my lists as far as story goes or any of that stuff. But like, it's kind and, and, and some of the pros of the film are actually kind of cons for me as well, because there were like, there were. 30 45 minute portions of this film that are literally well we're just gonna sit here for a while so i can show you off all my tech like it, it's not mm -hmm. it's not advancing the story it's just let's play in this i i spent fucking a trillion dollars <laughs> building. yeah look at my money yeah. <laughs> let's just sit in there and i think that like i'm sort of torn between the well yeah 
you built it. Let's sit here and look at it because it looks fucking amazing. And like, well, you're not really furthering the story anytime. There's dumb shit too in, in the world building here where it's like, so here's the thing. People are arriving on Pandora who had to already be in transit. Like, cause, cause this film takes place 12, 14 years, something like that after the first one. Right. Pandora, if you go to like the Wikipedia or whatever for, for the planet or the, you know, fandom.wiki.whatever, Pandora's location is so far away that in order to arrive 12 years after the events of the first film, you would have had to be in transit the whole time. And the sheer fact of characters being in transit to do this new mission negates anything that made sense in the first film. Like, it feels like this film is a complete retcon, mm -hmm. which I dislike, but it still feels... Like, I, I feel the way about this film, the way that a lot of people felt about the first film, where it's such an achievement that I can kind of put off a bunch of the underpinnings of like, like not underpinnings, like, right. like, like all of the shortcomings of the film are kind of negated by simply how beautiful it looks and what I, like, they've accomplished. I, think I, I would feel that way maybe in 24 fps and i don't know how to guarantee that i will see it in 24 fps other than waiting for it to come on vod or something yeah yeah um because my problem is like i think it is a massive technological achievement i do think the story is pretty dumb yeah there are like there are some aspects where it's just like a standard hero's journey in a way that is fine there's a lot of dialogue that i found very corny there was a moment that many people have pointed to as beautiful when a whale talks for the first time where my entire audience burst out laughing. <laughs> um, I, that Your audience ruined that for you. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure it could have been beautiful. But here's the thing. I believe a weak or, you know, paint-by-number story can be elevated by technological brilliance. I believe putting technological brilliance under 48 FPS where it all looks like weird plastic shit like makes me not like it anymore. Like the one thing it could have done was awe me with its visuals. And maybe you and I both watched this in 2D high frame rate yeah. or variable frame rate. Maybe that is just like an unholy combination. And maybe like 3D variable frame rate, you are no longer in the normal movie watching brain part anymore because you already have 3d you're already in kind of gimmick mode and maybe the technology can just overwhelm you for me in 2d the variable frame rate just made me not even enjoy any above water scene in high frame rate look terrible to me and i know some people love it i understand i'm like a old man i i'm whatever it, it just does not work for me at all and it meant i couldn't let the movie elevate itself above the lazy writing and very kind of one-dimensional characterizations that it had. Yeah, I, I think if this film was a simplified, like, John Wick-style story, <laughs> like, you killed my terraforming, I'm coming after you now, I think it would be better, because I think the world-building is stupid, and the way they try to expand the universe kind of is introducing stuff that kind of doesn't make sense in the context of of this at all. Like, if we have cloning mm -hmm. technology, then what does it matter that Sam Worthington was related to his brother? <laughs> like, yeah. and, and, and things like that. And the introduction of why people are hunting whales doesn't make sense, really, if you think about it. Because if we were terraforming... It, so they introduced the fact that, like, Earth is kind of, like, dying. 
And now they're at, they're not just coming here to mine this substance called unobtainium. They're coming here to have a second Earth, um, which mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you know this, Stephen, but there are probably other planets in the solar system or galaxies that can support life. And why would you go to a toxic planet where you can't even fucking breathe the air? Um, I was told we were special. Yeah, I, I just think that you would find a Goldilocks planet to terraform and make your uh make your new home rather than one yeah but then the porridge is gonna be uh <laughs> too warm or too i i do not re- i need to look what the fuck is this name <laughs> i need to find out what this guy am i combining that with like a uh, little miss muffet too i feel like i'm combining fairy tales <laughs> someone eats porridge <laughs> avatar the way of water Corich. Corich. yeah Corich is his name mm. <laughs> mm. Um, I, I think I was uh, combining him with like Barry Keegan's character from yeah. Banshees. Goldilocks does eat porridge and exclaim it being too hot and too cold. Yeah, yeah. So I feel vindicated. Yeah. And if only they would forego Corridge and find a Goldilocks planet, then mm-hmm. this movie doesn't need to happen. Yeah. It'd be perfect. I mean, I, I, I will. I cannot stress. Because I don't, despite tweeting about it, I don't take joy in shitting on Avatar because I thought the time spent underwater was magical and unlike anything I have ever seen before in my life. It um, it makes it more infuriating that I feel like it is being thrown away on a story that has not been thought through and utilizing technology that I think actively makes visuals look worse. And I I'm rooting for Cameron because it is cool that he does this stuff. I don't want him to win the frame rate war because I think I'm going to be left behind in a way that I will not enjoy at all. Do, do you think the character of Spider is only there so that this film can be called live action? Like, like I feel like... I wonder if it's there just to brag about the fact that, like, look, we have a real person interacting and getting, like, grabbed by and beaten by our CGI characters just to prove to you how goddamn cool we are. But like, whenever you saw people, like, actual people, like the humans, that's when it looked really, really bad. Like, when they're all hopping inside their subs, mm-hmm. like, once they're in the sub, it looks great. But when they're moving, yeah. when they're running down a, whatever it's called, gangplank, and getting into the sub... Sure that looks like the hobbit <laughs> and it feels like if they just went full cg for everything they they could re- they could render some beautiful humans right i'm sure they could yeah yeah i think they should have done high frame rate underwater 24 fps above water near the two shell meet i think would have looked good cuz underwater in real life it feels different anyway. Yeah. Like you're already like time feels different underwater. Light reflects differently. I think that it would have been the move. And I honestly think it is what inspired Cameron to do variable frame rate. And then they kept seeping 48 FPS into other places in ways that don't make sense to me. Yeah, I, I have I have a sinking feeling, Stephen, um, much to uh, your dismay. Given that like theaters can't actually project a variable frame rate and they're just doubling frames, I have a feeling Cameron will go look for the Blu-rays, the DVDs, the streaming services. High frame rate, that's the only option we're going to offer. Yeah. Um, we'll see, though. I hope not. I'm sure you could you could rip it and then use FFmpeg to, <laughs> to actually yeah. drop it down. 
Well, I feel you could even make your display only be 24 FPS. Maybe it would have weird aliasing effects. I'm not sure. But it's possible you could force it on your end, whatever Blu-ray they give you. That is true. It would be funny if, like, <laughs> like, six months from now you come back, you're like, so, guys, I did it. It looks like shit in 24 frames. It's like, I can't tell any of the action. It's just garbage. So much motion blur. Yeah. Turns out every other frame has spider in it. Just as like an Easter egg. The whole movie was just a white guy with dreadlocks. Oh, man. All right. Any any last any last uh, takeaways from the year that was 2022, Stephen? It it was an interesting year. I I think there were a lot of really great movies that came out. I don't think there were as many consensus near perfect movies that came out. I think it was kind of like a messy year, and I think it is maybe the last year that is going to be deeply impacted by the pandemic. I, I have a feeling next year, moving forward, we're going to have more of a normal release cadence. Maybe we'll even make our way out to a festival or two, um, pending pending your risk tolerance. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Stephen's I, invincible now. <laughs> just yeah, had I had COVID. I can do anything. Um, yeah, I, I loved all the movies on my list in 2022, but I have a feeling 2023 is going to have more up its sleeve. That it, that is my feeling. I'm excited for the year going forward. I'm excited to get back into the world where I know what's coming out every weekend, and we have obvious selections uh, each rolling into each new weekend. And I'm excited to uh, you know have the podcast back in full full form where we actually have 52 reviews in a year instead of yeah. 34, or 31, or whatever we had. At least we we used to do multiples a weekend. I I feel like we can clear fifty two easy. That's what we would have thought last year too. <laughs> All right, Stephen. I think this is gonna do it for our recap of twenty twenty two. People want to find you throughout the week. Where can they do that? Uh, people can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning, facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning, or instagram.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode is a track called Tarantino from the band The Polarity. So hopefully you are enjoying that uh, banger that is very much up my alley <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that's it for this episode. We will be back soon with uh, our first review of the new year. All right. Later, everyone. Yeah. Probably, probably Megan. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>